Three, two, one. I was way off there. That was oh, my I fault. Beat you. Let's do it one more time just for funsies. Yeah. Three, two, one. Way better. That was elite. Oh, that, that was, was an so elite good. Elite clap. That was. Oh uh, man. That was no crap clap. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. You know that what was, was a good. That clap was not crap. No cap. All right, Lin Manuel. <laughs> How do you feel about Lin Manuel? You know, I saw a funny headline today that I think it was a joke, but it like cut it off like uh, it wasn't even a joke. It was just the headline was cut off weird. But it basically was the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing was like it says Lin-Manuel Miranda killed Ariana DeBose. And I forget what the rest of the headline was. But I was like, oh, my God. What Who's a tragedy. Ariana DeBose? Who's Ariana DeBose? Well, this is coming on the day after the Oscars. So she'll have one Best Supporting Actress. Right. For West Side I, yes, Story. that's right. And, you know... And she was in Hamilton on in the stage production. Mm. And, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because the Oscars last night were incredible. I mean, who would have thought, after all these years of people saying that the Oscars is played out and we need to make the telecast shorter, for last night to be what it was, I mean, they really, they really found a way to shake things up a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, I thought I thought bringing out the hologram of Sidney Poitier was a little too far. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and honestly, you know, of all the people that could get up there and mess up reading Best Picture, I would have not guessed that they would have allowed Pauly Shore to do it. I know, and you know what's crazy? I, I you can go back and forth on this. Like, should they cut casting and and short film categories from or or, or whatever they cut from it? Uh, from the broadcast, should they cut those? I understand they have to cut it for time, but the fact that they went out of their way to add a best kiss category, and then they gave them just uh, an MTV Movie Award, like popcorn, I mean, that just felt disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that addition, but I also liked the fact that, you know, why do we need to see who wins best editing? Who cares about editing? Right. Why, like, why not open up that space for Andy Samberg to do the entire pop star album as Connor for real. Just completely, you know, like well, that, yeah. do every song. Absolutely. You know? you know? What are the Oscars? Who cares about the did they, Oscar? Did they do that? Oscar, he's a grouch. And you know what? <laughs> Who people are grouches that think that these new changes aren't great. Wow. That's a that's a segue. You thought that's where that where that was gonna go, huh? No, that's not a segue. I don't know what that is. <laughs> not a segue. It didn't lead us anywhere. It led us to a dead end. <laughs> Throw it you on reverse a, and we'll you head made backwards. A cold a sec? Uh let's take a look at the cast of Morning Glory. Rachel McAdams has been nominated for an Oscar. Did we introduce Morning Glory yet? No. This is what I'm doing right now. Oh, okay. I guess. Well, Rachel McAdams, nominated for an Oscar. Harrison Ford, nominated for an Oscar. For Witness, a movie that we reviewed on this podcast before. I don't, think we, I don't even think we said the name of the podcast yet. Cinema Chain Gang Podcast. I'm Andrew J. That's Nick Ricardo. We are on chain number five, about to complete chain number five. Yeah, forget us. We're a little tired staying up last night to watch the Oscars. So. Yeah. Ugh. 16 hour ceremony. <laughs> it's tough. You know, I thought they were trying to cut time. The they, fact that Moonlight finally got Best Picture, though. Woo! Moonlight did win Best Picture. Oh, La 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 Land. You, you had 50% chance of getting that right. <laughs> Chain number five started with Zach Galifianakis. We reviewed the campaign, his political comedy with Will Ferrell last week. We are using uh, political, I almost said tyrant, I meant political heavyweight, Chris Matthews, <laughs> to, to get to Rachel McAdams in this movie, Morning Glory, which we were talking about today, which, like I said, does have some Oscar winners in it, mm -hmm. uh, and, a, and a Jeff Goldblum to boot, and a Patrick Wilson. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is a 2010 rom-com that basically stars Rachel McAdams as this executive producer of the show Daybreak, which is like a horrible like version of the Today Show. I'm trying to think of like a, a what channel it would be equivalent to, but like honestly, CBS, NBC, and ABC are all name checked here. So like Fox is it, like like I guess like Fox Fives. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like meant to stand in for uh, a channel. She's a producer in New Jersey who is passed over for a senior producer position and subsequently fired, which right off the bat, I was like, there, there's, they would never actually just fire her like that. Like, right. if she's the best employee there, they would find room in the budget for her. And then her friends who thought she was getting promoted and had shirts ready that said, congrats, Becky, left the shirts on as they helped her pack up. Right. Like, I understand the visual comedy of that, but... but Very insensitive. You wouldn't do it. Yeah. Her character's name is Becky Fuller. Uh, she is, in every aspect, for better or for worse, a textbook definition of what a rom-com character is. She's a workaholic. She can't mm-hmm. find love, even though Rachel McAdams is beautiful. She, you know, she's idealistic about, you know, the idea of news and everything like that. And mm-hmm. she, she warms the heart of everybody around her and yada, yada, yada. And she joins the show Daybreak. Becomes the executive producer before Jeff Goldblum hires her. Uh, he's the network executive at the station where the ratings are in the toilet and everybody hates each other. Diane Keaton's character, Colleen Peck, has been there for like a decade and she is a jerk. And Ty Burrell's character, um, Paul McPhee, McVee, he uh, is in a very timely manner, basically like a Me Too candidate ahead of its time he's like Mm -hmm. sexist and a predator and she fires him immediately and replaces him with harrison ford's mike pomeroy who's supposed to be like a tom brokaw-esque chris matthews-esque uh (laughs) nighttime tv legend who has kind of been canned and sidelined and is kind of like washed up i don't know if it's the right word but nobody wants to work with him because he's just a horrible person Mm -hmm. and she finds a loophole in her in his contract that says he won't get his million dollar buyout without joining the morning show. Um, so they try this experiment where they pair Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton together. Hijinks ensue. Everybody's mad at each other for most of the movie until they're not. Yada, yada, yada. That's basically the gist of it. Uh, this is a rom-com. But it also, as someone who works in morning news, and I'm sorry if I'm dominating the conversation because I feel like no, there's a lot of this here. They literally shots part parts of this. I saw my desk in a couple shots of this movie. Did you really? Yes. So they shot the scenes with Rachel McAdams and Jeff Goldblum at New York One, which is where I work. Uh, I am the senior producer of a morning show at New York One. So obviously, I have an idea of like whether this is accurate or not. I'll go more into that later. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the scenes with Jeff Goldblum and Rachel McAdams are in the New York One newsroom. Now, There's- have you? I, we could cut this if you want, but have they? Have you suggested maybe the tagline? New York won, because every day that this city wakes up, New York won. Like WN. I see. I see what every you're doing. Every night is a battle, but every morning that you wake up, New York won. You can have that, honestly. It's kind of like our spiritual motto, so okay. I think it's more implied. I don't think we need to write it out, you know? Okay. Yeah. We can keep that in. It's fine. I just want to... I wanted you... I well, want them to hear... I don't want to give it away for free. I want them to hear <laughs> me reject the pitch, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, but like, so they're walking through the main newsroom area. There's like one point where you, yeah, I literally saw my desk and I like tried to freeze frame. I tried to screenshot and send to you, but like Paramount Plus doesn't let you screenshot. So 
You um, watched it on Paramount Plus? Yeah, it was free. So, and I steal my girlfriend's login. Mm, okay. I um, yeah, I didn't watch it on Paramount Plus. Did you pirate it? No, I think I rented it on on Amazon Prime. Mm. Good man. Yeah, I went yeah. to help out Rachel McAdams. Yeah, but Jeff Goldblum's office is like one of the one of like my big boss's offices and same thing with Patrick Wilson's office. Patrick Wilson plays he's a producer of like primetime television basically who starts dating Becky. She he used to work with Harrison Ford's character. Um yeah, but that was a real trip seeing my newsroom and seeing a lot of the places that I recognize be a part of this movie that in in general I was pretty pleased with its attitude about morning news because it understands kind of the nuances of it and like what it takes to make a good morning program. Yeah. And I'll get more into that later. What general thoughts on the movie from you? Um, overall, pretty positive about it overall. I, you know, it's it's not setting out to realist, not that it doesn't realistically depict that world, but it's not setting out to put you in that world as much as use it as a backdrop for the rom-com. It's not setting out to do what Sorkin sets out to do with um, 75% of his work, which is set behind the scenes at a production of something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in that way, like, I think it, it's kind of just nice to have a different toned story set in that world. Or like a better example is like uh, a, a morning show is in a sense giving you more of like an accurate look at that or a more uh, a serious kind of organizational look at that stuff whereas here it's just more of just kind of using it to propel the story yeah the, this movie is more hopeful than a work of an aaron sorkin or the morning show or whatever it's i'm, I'm very glad that aaron sorkin did not write this movie <laughs> no i am too there there are aspects of this movie that the morning show just doesn't get as you know, it doesn't get right. You know what I mean? Like this movie, this movie is much more recognizable for people who work in a more, I don't know how people who worked on the Today Show or Good Morning America feel about this movie and the morning show. But as someone who works at New York One, which is, you know, we're not on the level of those operations, but we have our, we have like a decent sized team. It, it's more relatable to like what a local morning news show is like. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's a fantastic quote uh, from Rachel McAdams character when he's trying to pitch She's trying to pitch to Harrison Ford for him to come join the show before she whips out the contract clause. And she describes morning news as kind of like a, it's a well-informed neighbor coming over to chat about the news in the morning. It's not just all fluff and everything like that. And this movie understands that the balance is is delicate between those two things. And Rachel McAdams' character is kind of trying just there to try and convince everybody that they can find a balance and still make it entertaining television. Right. Let's talk about the acting a sec. By the way, small note, Ty Burrell makes like perfect sense to be like perfect casting as a, a news person. He also played a news person in a short lived sitcom called back to you. Do you remember that show? I do. Patricia Heaton mm -hmm. and Kelsey Grammer. Yep. Um, Fox, he, I believe. I think so. He, I actually, I looked it up at the time because I had this really, this is really a stretch of a hope, but I had a hope that he was playing the same character. Like if I made this movie, I would have made him, <laughs> The same character, again, so be, that I've effectively made a spinoff of of the short-lived TV show. Like we talked about last week with the due date Joker reference, it'd be another thing that I feel like, well, maybe more people would get that one, but I don't know. Let, yeah, maybe. It'd be tough. <laughs> By the way, that was, um, that was like the last show that I think didn't work out 
before Modern Family for Levitan and Lloyd. Um, but let's talk about the acting. Harrison Ford, how did you, I personally, and I feel like you'll disagree with this, I just like did not, I was not impressed by him in this movie. Oh, I disagree. I actually really liked him in this. Okay. Why? I, I thought he was doing his normal, like, kind of growling and grunting that he has been doing for the last 20 years or so. Um, and again, it's a great contrast to what he used to do uh, in movies like Witness, which we reviewed a couple episodes ago. Um, but he finds, like, a softness and kind of a vulnerability to this character and a bit... Of, it's like, you, you just think he's an ass for most of the movie, and then you, as the movie goes on, you realize that he is just a guy trying to reclaim his dignity and he's kind of vulnerable for that. And he's just mean to everybody because he's embarrassed of the situation that he's in. And I thought he conveyed a lot of that with dialogue that, you know, isn't going to win any Oscars or anything like that. Right. OK, I I get that. I, I did not really pick up on like acting subtlety from him, but I, I do think like to me, it felt like they needed to cast an intimidating news guy. And they cast Harrison Ford because he's intimidating. And he, I was just like, this guy's just whispering the whole movie. And that's like what he's trying to do. It's a bit one note, but I think that was direction versus performance. But yeah, I feel you. Okay. Totally. Now, at the same time, to go against what I just said, kind of, and support the idea of casting him as an intimidating person, I do think that that is a thing that movies can do sometimes. There's a, even though you're supposed to not think about the actor, when you're watching a movie, they're supposed to just be bringing the character to it. I think that there are times when the Great Gatsby came out, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Great Gatsby. Second time we've mentioned that movie <laughs> on this podcast. Um, when that came out, I did like the casting of Leo as the Great Gatsby because that character is so built up in just like, you know, American in the in the american psyche or, or whatever that nobody could ever match up to it the other movies like nobody could ever match up to it but in trying to phrase how i felt about the great gatsby i had said i'd realized that and this might be sacrilegious to like the the art form of movies but i think sometimes you have to leverage the actor's off-screen persona or like the mystique associated with them to help convey their on-screen character more. No, and who, who is more Gatsby than Leo? And so like in some, in some sense, even though they might not want you to say it, like you're supposed to go into that movie being like, well, I'm watching Leo and that adds to this. And the same thing with Harrison Ford, you're like, oh, it's Harrison Ford. I'm already intimidated by it. No, you're, you're absolutely, that's a fantastic point. Yes! <laughs> Episode 10, finally made one. <laughs> No, but seriously, like it all comes into it. That's why I think movies for me are fascinating. Like there's a story within the movie that you're watching, but there's a whole other story of a timeline of a career that comes into the decisions that were made to put together the production. Mm -hmm. And to bring it back to Morning Glory, what you're kind of saying is, you know, they re they re rely on the, the veteran appeal of Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton to an extent to kind of carry the characters where the writing might be lacking. Mm -hmm. I think this movie is really strong when it is focusing on the morning news stuff. Um, I really enjoyed all of that. I think the movie is a pretty weak rom-com. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, foreseeable and formulaic and like it's pretty... I, I, I found I every... wrote? Am I using that word right? Wrote is good. Yeah, I like that. I always like that word. Um, I think the romance between McAdams and Patrick Wilson, who is a very handsome man... Um, and is fine in the role. 
I, it falls completely flat for me. It just doesn't it doesn't work. It, yeah, totally. And I like I don't buy I mean, you can say this about a lot of a- actresses who are, you know, beautiful actresses who are cast as like they're supposed to be like frumpy nerds or something like that. But like I did really just did not buy that. That's how she's seen by anybody in this. I, I thought com- that could have been. I agree. That they. I also, because this is kind of a, a bit of a, a key point in their relationship too, is like how, how Harrison Ford, Mike Pomeroy, feels about it. I just did not buy that he would ever care. In terms of who, them, who she's dating, he yeah. turns to. Um, Sitting or dipshit. Yeah. What, what he calls him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that. I, McAdams' character is kind of uh, not uh, any fault of her, her own. She brings a good charm to it and a good exasperation to it. The, the character is kind of annoyingly written. It, you know what it is? SNL did a skit a couple of years ago when Scarlett Johansson was hosting. And they were doing a parody of like what Black Widow would be like if it was a rom-com. And it was like all the rom-com tropes and the way that those characters act all into one little five-minute skit. And I, I felt like it was she – her character was hitting all of those beats. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just looking for love, but I'm also looking right. to have a good career. Right. And it's like, oh, man. Aye, aye, aye. It really is like, let's take the normal arc and just apply it to this. Right. So the, the setting is what made it. First of all, new. Let's, I want to start from the be- go back to the beginning a little bit, because it, like before you even get to the Patrick Wilson romance, the movie starts with her having a date with this rando. First of all, when you were watching the movie, I watched part of this movie on my phone because I've seen it before. As the director intended. As the director intended, right. It starts with a weird aspect ratio thing where I thought something was broken. Did you notice that? No. It's It starts with like, I, I have to go back, I guess, and see if it was just my phone. But it like started, the image started small. Did it start small. with a notch in, in one side of the screen? <laughs> no, it started. iPhone s- joke. It started small and then it just like expanded. I, I don't know why they did that, if that's why they did it. I, feel, I guess it feels like some kind of. I thought something was I, I thought something was literally wrong with the image. Huh. Whatever. Yeah, I don't remember. But anyway, it, but she, she goes on this date with this guy and, you know, just doesn't like she's talking about her career the whole time. And he's like, can I get the check? You know, and it's like, oh, and his mo- her mother yes, is like a, right. a, her mother is a, embarrassed for her because she's like. She's still dreaming of being on the Today Show when she's not that far yeah, off from being that, on the Today Show. That, I'm like, it, there was kind of up. like, even, even, I, I guess you can make the argument that it's like, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing of, um, if somebody wants to get into anything involving any kind of TV or broadcast or, or artistic or something like that, and people who are not in it think it's so impossible to like be anywhere in the world you could kind of write off the characters a bit of like that but even that it feels like so overly harsh how the mother treats her she's she, like she's at age what is it at age 28 28 it's just embarrassing to have a dream or something like that like shut up yeah. like <laughs> I, and then the, the, that character never comes back so she never gets a moment of redemption or anything like that it's like what was even the point of this yeah but then obviously she gets whisked away to the city and once once they focus on more of like what she's doing at her job i i started to soften her more like there's a great scene where she's leading her first production meeting and they're just throwing a bunch of questions at her her staff and she has to absorb all this information and have answers for all of it and that captures kind of the whirlwind of how quickly things need to be decided when you're putting together a show i thought that was really effective there's a really effective like subtle shot after she does her interview with Jeff Goldblum, where she's about to walk into an elevator and meet Harrison Ford, and behind her are posters of all bunch of white men. And it's kind of like, 
how mm. she's bringing a different perspective to everything and a little bit of rejuvenation to that specific station, uh, mm-hmm. which is the station's named IBS, which is a good, small, subtle joke, I think. Okay, that was a whole conversation I wanted to have. Was that intended to be a joke? And how known is it what IBS is? I think IBS is pretty well known. Pretty well known, right? Irritable bowel syndrome, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And that's so it's weird because the movie didn't strike me like as I don't know, I the movie that would make a joke like that. Me neither. And so I didn't know if it was, but I was like, I guess it has to be on purpose. It has right? to be. Yeah. Also, because the other I have a weird small encyclopedic knowledge of like other fictional news stations as depicted on shows, and every other one has basically been taken, is the other thing. UBS was network. UBS was also going to be Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, but then they changed that to NBS. Aaron Sorkin decided to do something original. And then, um, what successions? Obviously, six- it's part of Waystar, but um, AEN, isn't it? No. Um, the newsroom is ATN. No, you know what it is? I know what it is. It's ACN, it's Atlantis Cable News. That's what it is. It's there, ACN. Th- there you go. Yep. Succession is ATN. All you got to do is throw together different acronyms. Uh, one other, uh, really throw throw a, a fun fact at you. The building, the exterior, you talked about the interior of the building. I can tell you the exterior has also been seen in other productions. And I want to believe that they all work in this same building. You know, th- that was, I couldn't, I've seen it before. It was killing me. I was trying to figure out where I've seen it before. Yeah. And they actually, they throw you a little bit because outside, they film exteriors at this place. They have the outside, they have a giant IBS logo, like set up like a statue of it or or, or something on like the plaza in front of the lobby. They also have like an actual building address set up there, like just the number nine or something, which like is actually there in real life, whatever the number is. The building. Can I can I say I'm looking at the reflection of your your giant desktop for the reflection of your Mac off of the desktop. And I can see you have the Google Maps up of the building. (laughs) I do, because I had a Google. I didn't think this this was a true fun fact. And now I know that it is a true fun fact. The IBS headquarters also serves as Chandler's office and friends early, early seasons. Okay, And. Mugatu's headquarters. So random. From Zoolander. Bring it back to Will Ferrell. Yeah. So I just think that's important for everybody to know. Before we continue, this has nothing to do with anything. You know what? I I just realized now that you're wearing a hat. Because the way things are structured right now, in my line of view, I could just see your front hair flip. Oh, that's funny. it blends into the headphones. I actually forgot I was wearing a hat until like 10 minutes ago. I kind of just felt it for the first time. You're committed to the podcaster cap. I love it. This is called, I Googled what this is today. It's called a fisherman beanie. Makes sense. And I was like, you know, why does it, what's the point of it? Doesn't cover the ears. And it turns out it's because fishermen want to keep their heads warm, but they have to hear things. And now people do it because uh, we're posers. Yeah. Fisherman hat, kind of war- like uh, what they wear in Coda. Another Oscar winner last night won a record 20, 20 statues, remember? Yeah, I actually, I have to um, watch that one still. But I was very pleased that it won all the awards last night. I also didn't know CODA was an acronym for Children of Deaf Adults. Yeah. It, it, knowing that is going to make me get the movie confused with ACOD, Adult Children of Divorce, the Adam Scott Netflix movie. Yep. I, which I've seen the thumbnail of, but I've never <laughs> yes. actually seen. 
should, we should do a podcast where we review movies we've only seen the thumbnail of. <laughs> that that feels like a cinema chain gang movie. You know, Netflix, the thumbnail that they serve you is also algorithm based. I've read that somewhere. Explain more how. It's just like they, they give you the one that they think you're going to be most interested in. They also have multiples for them. And so like you'll see a random thumbnail. You'll be like, why is like that actor the thumbnail for that movie? It's not. They have like a bunch of them. But I've noticed, you know, if I like watch a movie and it's like like I watch a Ray Liotta movie and then I'm watching there, there's a movie that he is like the fifth tier character in he's like fifth build actor i mean in the movie but he's the thumbnail of the movie i'm like well that's because like because it'll show, you me, marriage, hundred ray it'll Liotta show movies. me marriage story with ray Liotta there and that's because <laughs> we you've you've searched the words ray Liotta how many times that's smart kind of kind of devilish too but devilish and smart just like it. just like most ray Liotta movies. can i just bring up one thing before we move back to morning glory here yeah uh under action comedies on netflix they have the big time rush movie big time movie I don't know if I would call that an action comedy. Is that what that is? Do you know what Big Time Rush is? Yeah, but is that what that is? Is Big Time Movie a Big Time Rush movie? Mm-hmm. Why would I say that if it wasn't? You don't believe I me? I thought you were wrong. <laughs> no, okay. I thought maybe Big Time Movie was like like one of those spoofs, like not another teen movie. Anyway, we got to go, We gotta get back to the movie that we're um, supposed to be talking about. I actually, actual question about the movie, because I know you said you found it like realistic in a sense of what that environment is like. Do you think that the like the writers of this movie had a kind of POV about how they felt about those shows in mind? Because it felt like it was very, not in any, you know, like grandstanding way, but it it sarcastically treats morning news, I think, a lot. Like daytime TV and, and talk shows and things like that. I found that it like sarcastically delivers a lot. Of, there's a negative view of them. Just in like the lame jokes that they make or or what it uh, takes to to build up the ratings too, like their whole yeah. thing, like her, her whole philosophy shift to bring up the ratings. So Jeff Goldblum's like, listen, the ratings are so bad, they're going to cancel the show. They're going to cancel like a 40 year old show here. So you got to yeah. figure something out. And her solution is to like basically sensationalize and send the send the weather person out on roller coasters and stuff right. and bring 50 cent in to like cringily rap with diane keaton which was which, horrible by the way another note i have everybody talks about jack and jill giving us al pacino singing in a dunkin donuts and we completely overlook the fact that morning glory has given us diane keaton rapping candy shop with 50 cent right that should be unequal footing yeah but one is a way better movie than the other it's the only reason it's not talking talked about as often you're right. No, you're correct. If you take those isolated moments. I was trying to figure out which movie you said was better. I, I think you know the answer to that. I now know the answer. Yeah. I thought maybe I was wrong. Yeah. But I wasn't. <laughs> no, you were not. Um, I think it kind of plays both sides of the coin. Like it's reverent, but it's also trying to poke fun at how ridiculous these shows can be. I don't know. It's it, it, You're right. Because it definitely is negative in certain aspects about it. I would just you know, like the lame joke banter between them. There, there. I think there was right, but it also shows that Harrison Ford's character is not above it. By the end, he eventually gives into it. Right, and basically the message is, you know, the whole concept of Morning Glory is the best possible product that comes out of it is when everybody buys into what it takes. Yeah. Also, did not love the scene. It, I didn't buy into the realism at the end of him just taking stuff off of craft services and then cooking with it and they I, had a full there, There's a lot of that in this. <laughs> there, like, 
Yes. Yeah. It, I uh, Listen, it's realistic in some aspects and it's not in others. Right. Yeah. I do really like that scene, though. That's that. That's this movie's running to the airport version. So, and I, I thought that that was the one we. I said this was formulaic, but the climax of the movie is her running to the antagonist in her professional life, basically rather her, than her love interest, and basically her surrogate father too. Mm-hmm. So, I, and mean, I just felt like that was a little bit of a switch up from. Mm-hmm. What this movie has a very interesting soundtrack too. That song in that specific moment. I've been listening to ever since I saw the movie in 2010. What it's movie? called? It's called uh, Newton Falk. It's called Gone in the Morning by Newton Faulkner. Uh, okay, but yes, you're right. Good subversion of it. it. Also shows how useless the romance part of this movie is as well. Really, really, the deep connection in the movie, quote unquote, deep connection is between the two of them. And I thought a lot of that stuff worked pretty well, especially when they had that conversation after he. Uh, another unrealistic thing. He just. He just takes he basically kidnaps her and takes her to the governor's mansion um yes <laughs> as the fbi is about to get there yeah he orchestrated it with the police and everything yeah. and also also one one other not to harp on all the things that could go wrong but there's a point where when everything's going wrong on the broadcast where they have a story on jimmy carter and they have like an over-the-shoulder graphic of jimmy carter with whatever the proper headline is and then they switch to a story about a sexual offender and the text says sexual offender, but the photo is still Jimmy Carter. But that's not how, yeah, that's not how graphics work. Right. Yeah. And so that is, I, I did not like that one. Like just the fact that, and all, all that stuff's a given, I, but, and also she didn't know, she did not know like the word for it, for like the terminology. She was just like, get, 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 get that away. I'm like, well, you're a news producer for help. Well, here, here's, here's where I'll push back a little bit on that because having been in that situation, it is pure panic when right. it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my worst example of that was there was this, there's this video cut of a mugshot of a person who was like wanted for a robbery, but it was. Late. Are you talking in this is my career in my or per, YouTube? In my personal experience, oh, okay. this is the worst mistake that I've ever made. Okay, um, and it's really not even technically my fault, but. This basically it was a headshot of a person who was wanted for like a robbery and for whatever reason it was cut as a video and it was he had it was labeled like the same thing as a murder suspect. So he basically ran this guy's mugshot who had committed a robbery and said he was a murder suspect, Mm -hmm. which is really freaking bad. Not good. We had to do a correction and everything. This was like a year into my career in Albany. So while this movie is not accurate with how graphics work, it is accurate for stuff like that happens a lot. Right, 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 right. A lot. Yeah. And you just pray that it is not the president's being called a sex offender or something of that magnitude right. <laughs> so that you can bury it and pretend yeah, like it and never like happened. It never happened. I I um in some jobs, I in one job I had where I had to like it was within my uh list of responsibilities to write and check graphics and I could not go back and watch the shows later on TV because it was like a talk show and I couldn't go back and watch reruns because I was so afraid I'd then spot a mistake in one of my graphics. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I no, it, that it. stuff is so true. That is, that is very real. And it's very true. There, there's a point where Rachel McAdams is on set, like berating Harrison Ford for not taking any of this seriously and literally ducks out of the shot before they come back i'm not saying it's ever been that close but i've been on set like 10 seconds before we come back like not berating anybody but like having like serious discussions about the direction of the show with the anchors on on set you know what i mean like right how 
there's so much that the general public does not know about morning TV and any kind of TV in general, which you can speak to this too. Right. How much we get away with and how we skate by without catastrophic mistakes just to yeah, keep totally. it going. It's particularly just like whenever a talk show starts with lovely banter it's at the beginning and everybody, it's like so many people just ran off set on even the, the least important episode of the most casual show. <laughs> like, so totally. many. There's like one episode of one show where I remember watching it and being like, you know, what's crazy is I was crying backstage <laughs> because of because of what it took to make this episode. I was crying backstage and you would not think anybody in this on this set is crying based on how happy these people are. And that's that's the kind of that's kind of the 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 twinge of non-serious news like like yeah. a morning show or a variety show or something. Everyone has to put on a show. Everyone has to act yeah. happy all the time, even if things were intense behind the scenes. Yeah. And this movie is it is not poignant by any measures on like a deep Shakespearean level or anything like that. But it doesn't have to be. And it really it is accurate. It, it's maybe it's not accurate in the specifics of what happens, but it's very accurate with the vibes and the understanding of how things really go. So yeah. it, it's definitely a thumbs up for me. I it, it probably in the same range quality wise as campaign, like three out of five letterbox. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I, I, would like, I liked this more than that. Interesting. Okay. I would put, I found campaign to be a bit more satisfying for what it was trying to be than this was for what it was trying to be. But most of my like for this came out of just like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I know it's not going to reinvent the wheel of rom-coms. At least I'm watching it in this newsroom setting in in a new setting in a way that you know because it's lighter than like a broadcast news or something you yeah know, it's not trying it's not trying to be sorkin it's not trying to be broadcast news it's not trying to be network it's uh so in that sense like you're a i think you're allowed to let yourself lean into the fun of of the environment more totally agree sense. did you notice i don't know how much you know about if anybody's gonna know this it's you the director inside the daybreak studios did you recognize him mm, i can't picture i don't remember who he was he is his name is his name is like don king or something like that he's the actual director of snl oh don, um is it don roy king yes is that right yeah he's the director of daybreak so i was like oh that's like a cool like easter egg he's the guy who oh, wow. who, who is putting the who is calling the shots every saturday night I thought that was like a kind of a good synergy thing to do. I thought it was interesting that there's a part where Ford doesn't want to cover Trump. Yes. And this is like pre-Trump presidency. Yeah. There were, there were a couple examples of the movie's not that funny per se. Like uh, no one laughing a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, there there was a point where he described. Which is why it's weird that they called it IBS. That's, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's like joke that a mom would hear and be like, ah, ha, ha. You know, like, and we're yeah. like, we're like, huh. Okay, um, there were there were moments where Harrison Ford's character is talking about all the things he's done in his career, and he he said he pulled Colin Colton Colin he pulled Colin Powell from a Jeep at one point, and he describes that he put a cold washcloth on Mother Teresa's forehead, <laughs> like <laughs> like things that like he, like yeah. Brokaw would would brag about doing or whatever, and if he actually did it, yeah, <laughs> maybe my biggest laugh or whatever in the movie was. 
this small moment that I really appreciated, which was uh, the the weather guy is doing like a Roker style thing where he's in front of a crowd holding signs. Ernie is his name. And the, yeah, he's in front good. of a crowd holding signs outside the, the studio. And then they cut to a wide shot and it's just a barricade with four extra four people that they had put behind him to make it look like he had fans, yeah. which is just like funny in a, a kind of an absurd way, but also not far off from what would really happen we literally like and who wants to be a millionaire my job literally it was to find those people and get, and, and put, and, and the put them in the behind the camera yeah. <laughs> no no uggos allowed you know yeah <laughs> that again not that realistic but not that far off and right. kind of speaks to how everything's a performance yeah let's let's all right i think we're almost done but let's solve where is chris matthews in this movie i'm gonna look it up my my the leading guess i had was there's a scene where Harrison Ford is about to go on air for the first time on Daybreak after doing a bunch of test shows. And Adam, I believe is his name, Patrick Wilson's character, is like, every time he didn't want to do something, he'll go on a bender. And you have to basically retrace your steps and go find him. So Rachel McAdams' character, Becky, goes looking for him and eventually finds him at a dinner at like a steakhouse with a bunch of like old news old personalities you know what i mean like old veterans of news or whatever he might be one of the people at the table there that's the best place i could think of i could i did not it's very obvious where he is in the campaign because he's on his own show but i like i don't remember him here do you think do you think it's possible that he's on the cutting room floor of this movie yes i think so although it does say on like wikipedia that he makes a cameo appearance i feel like it would say peter travers rolling stone review Mike drowns his disdain with cronies played by Bob Schieffer, Chris Matthews, and Morley Safer. So I was right. Yeah. It's that scene. He's one of the guys at the at the table. Yeah. Okay. And on, on IMDb, it's one of the roles where he's listed as self rather than an actor playing somebody with his name. So Wow. What an impact. Matthews is a lifelong Philadelphia Phillies fan reading his Wikipedia. He's from Nice Town. Pretty nice. Yeah. And then he was canceled, right? There's a section with inappropriate stuff going on. He retired in March of 2020, it looks like. Right before the pandemic. Maybe he knew what was coming. You want to generate another chain? I'm so ready. Let's do it. So we just finished chain number five, um, which took us from Zach Alphanakis to Rachel McAdams um, via our connection Chris Matthews, who we talked about ad nauseum, more than I think I thought I would ever talk about Chris Matthews in my life. Uh, I am going to generate 10 actors like I usually do. Nick, and you're going to pick a number between 1 through 10. Great. And that will be the link between Rachel McAdams and whoever it is. So I am generating the actors now. Uh, and give me th- 1 through 10. 4. All right. We are going from Rachel McAdams to Val Kilmer. <gasps> We were one off, by the way, from Ray Liotta, which would have been a no! very, very, very redundant. That would have been super redundant. Oh, can I Can I just for my own sake, um, I just want to look up what the Rachel to Ray chain would have been. Of course. Ooh, it would have been, I got this out, Rachel and Chiwetel Ejiofor and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, or I, guess, I don't know if he's in the other. He's Doctor in the first one, too. And then Chiwetel to Ray in a movie called Slow Burn, that- I have not seen yet as part of my Leotathon. I, I was going to say, for to give context to, I mean, I'm sure if anybody has stuck <laughs> with us for this long, that they know what you've yeah. been up to. But just tell them what Leotathon I, was. Leo, I'm watching every 
every movie in Ray Liotta's career. Um, I was ex- basically exclusively watching them for a while, and then I had to stop because it was just it was a lot of Liotta. It's what it was. But I'm gonna continue it. I'm probably because I and I I watched maybe like thirty movies so far, and like I'm only just you owe that's like a, a, a sixth of the way in. I yeah. oh god, and and. And here's the thing is like, because I'm not just watching the scenes, I'm watching the whole movie and he's in so many movies for two scenes where he he shot for two days. I mean, he shot date night probably one day, but at least that's a decent movie. Like he, he he's in other ones that are not as good. <laughs> Crime and punishment. But to be clear, the, the chain, here's the real chain, Rachel McAdams to Val is Kilmer. To Val Kilmer. Now, can I just say as I'm generating a chain, is this a good time for me to say my relationship to Val Kilmer? I mean, I don't have a relationship to Val Kilmer, but- yeah, go for it. Uh, I, in fourth grade, I had just found like the VHS, whatever Batman, what Batman was he in? Batman Forever, which could be a part of the Shane, which we'll okay. see. I was watching a lot of the 1966 Batman on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was into Batman or I thought I was. Then I found <laughs> that VHS in like our movie collection. And I was like, I'd never heard of Val Kilmer. I was in fourth grade and I was like, Val Kilmer plays Batman. Cool. I, wa- I watched five minutes of the movie and then I just, you know, I wanted to be interesting. So I was like, I like this movie. And then like a few weeks later, my teacher it's like in elementary school, you have to fill out questionnaires about yourself and um, they yeah. like hang them up or something. And our teacher was like, one of them was, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite actor? And all these kids are like, Jim Carrey. And, and I wrote, <laughs> wrote down, down Val, Val Kilmer. <laughs> and I think about it all the time because I feel like Miss Goodman, my teacher, looked at it. It was like, "What are they showing him?" Because I didn't know he was. Like, <laughs> That's that is sounds... like so many other. Yeah, know. like a lot of like intense Adult. action movies yeah. too and stuff. And and just I feel like like what is at first sight the one that they reference in uh doesn't he play a blind guy? Yes, he does. Just watch the documentary on him. Very good. Oh, yeah. If it's... you ever want to watch it, it's on Amazon. I've been meaning to watch it. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to hear this chain? Yes, please. Okay. Got a bacon number of two again, two movies. I don't think we're ever going to get a number that's above yeah. two, uh, that's which is fine. I'm, yeah. I'm cool with it. Rachel McAdams to Val Kilmer, connected by James Franco. Rachel McAdams and James Franco together. Mm. Do you know where James and Val are together? No, definitely not. Rachel McAdams and James Franco. Uh, I give up. The Little Prince animated oh. 2015 film i did not know they made a movie of that. i have seen that and it's very good okay i mean i was underwhelmed by the book after after reading it too but. i've never read the book but i i enjoyed the animated movie uh rachel mcadams was in the little prince with james franco james franco starred with val kilmer in palo alto i have no idea what that is i think it was also known as Palo Alto story. Oh no, it was based on a book, Palo Alto Stories, which is his his book of short stories. It's a Gia Coppola movie. Oh, I, nice. I see, I've seen yeah. it actually. 20, 2013? 2013. Okay. Sure. Why not? So, Rachel McAdams to Val Kilmer, connected by James Franco. We will get into those movies coming up. Thank you for joining us for five full chains and for ten whole episodes. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Jay. The chain continues.